All right, today's special guest, Than from Title Gardens, and today's topic is a theme tank as opposed to、uh, mixed tanks. Kind of like an evolution, if you ask me.、Uh, but this is an argument you said for several moderately sized aquariums rather than a single giant aquarium. What do you mean? Right. So, I get that most folks tend to only have one aquarium.、Mm-hmm. They have a single main display, and As a result, you end up collecting all your favorite stuff. So it's going to be the hottest new chalices, torches, frog spawn, whatever it is. Your your fancy is acros. But what tends to happen is you gravitate to more of like a visual sameness across everybody's aquarium because mixed reefs are by far the most popular types of aquariums.、Mm-hmm. And this is kind of a thing that I've borrowed from like the freshwater world, where the freshwater guys have no problem committing. To a single visual theme to a tank,、okay. so it'll be only red discus or something like that. Well, even the planted ones where they create a very specific, you know, style, like it's a mountainscape or it's a woods or something. And they hard commit to that aesthetic.、Mm-hmm. And in the reef aquarium world, we tend to not do that. There's very few of these like truly like restricted theme aquariums, and they can be. Striking displays on their own right. So I was thinking that instead of having one giant mega show tank, it's like if you have those resources, space it out over three or four different tanks, but have like a dedicated theme to it. I had this in my office for a little bit.、Uh, it was three sixty cubes、uh, mm-hmm. instead of a one eighty. You know, one of them was LPS, and、uh, one of them was SPS, and one of them was like softies, and you know, your polyps and stuff like mushrooms. And, nice. Uh, you know. uh, and then you could create aquascapes that featured each one of these, and you know, the different animals in there. But literally, when I thought about it, it's like I know a lot of people don't have the space for this. You、mm-hmm. know, like for three big giant tanks. But you know, three sixty cubes is like largely the same thing, and I can create like collections. And like, to be frank. Like a mixed tank doesn't look anything like the ocean, you know. Like you look in there, like it's you're mixing corals that are found at ten feet with you know forty feet. Yeah, that's、know? definitely true. Yeah, care wise, and I think that、um, especially if you keep acropora as a part of your mixed reef,、mm-hmm. your your husbandry techniques are going to skew towards keeping them alive because they're by far like the most challenging in that、mm-hmm. regard, short of like some non photosynthetics or something crazy, but. So if your if your husbandry techniques trend towards acropora specifically, other corals can adjust, but almost everything else is kept at in some way some suboptimal level. Like there's a lot of stuff that don't need nearly that kind of flow, not nearly that kind of light. Not only not need, they will like you know struggle with struggle or die. Yeah, you know. Yeah, struggle to just adapt to. Yeah, it's because they don't find these things like、uh, you know. You know, if you took a you know Ophelia and you moved it up, you know, within like on the crest of a reef, man, it would probably die. It's not like really going to tolerate that kind of crashing waves on it. You know,、mm-hmm. you know turbulent action. Like it, it's kind of like it's, you know, it's more used to currents, you know, and changes. And to compensate for that, it's going to shrink to like one fifth of its possible size. Doesn't collect as much light. Yeah. yeah, yeah, it's true. So we got a bunch of them today, a bunch of different styles.、Uh, some of this is about、uh, biology and doing what's right for the animal, but a lot of it is more about like an evolution. It's about 
you know, how do I create a visually stunning display that is a little bit different, you know, than uh, you would normally see? Something a little bit more visually powerful in some cases. And also, how do I create a collection that, you know, shows the variance and nuances of all of these animals? Uh, starting with euphilia and uh, fibrophilia. Did I pronounce that? Or fimbriophilia. Fimbriophilia. Uh, yeah. So far, you coral classification nerds out there. So that is torches, euphilia. And fimbriophilia is hammers and frog spawn. I actually had to ask him today. Uh, <laughs> like fimbriophilia. So that would be your frog spawn and torches. Uh, uh, frog spawn and hammers. hammers. Yep. Right. Okay. So I'm not sure how critical it is that we divide that up, but if you want to be in the know, go ahead. Okay. So I, on my channel, I made a specific show tank and I called it like the euphilia show tank. Mm -hmm. And it was a mix of all three. And and just from hobbyists, we do get the question, uh, can euphilia all be kept together? And at the time, euphilia meant all three put together. Um, and I would always say, yeah, probably, but it's not the best practice. You don't want them all brushing up against each other. Well, once they got reclassified, I don't know why like a, a little light switch went off in my head, but I noticed that, yeah, torches definitely want to fight the others more like hammers and frog spawn not so much i mean it's not great that they're touching but it's not that bad but torches are actively aggressive mm -hmm. and so just in sorry there's why yeah. yeah and in um in that specific euthelia show tank we ended up kicking all the torches out so it then became just a hammer and frog spawn tank yeah. and uh, it, it was kind of like a a fun exercise to then go track down that many more interesting color morphs of just those two. Because there's some baller torches out there that had to be kicked out. And so mm -hmm. I had to replace that somehow visually. And so that, that gets you looking at wall hammers rather than branching hammers. And there's all kinds of like different species within that that give you like really cool color morphs. So basically, uh, you know, uh, Elliot from Marine Collectors called this, and he's going to get mad at me for saying this, but uh, a flowy tank. Yeah. You know, you can call it a euphilia tank. You can call it a fimbriophilia tank. You can call it whatever you want to call it because there's a lot of different things, but we all know what we're talking about when you say euphilia. Mm -hmm. uh, so maybe we'll progress to more finite uh, over time. Uh, but it's a flowy tank. It's the stuff moves around. It creates visual interest, you know, mm -hmm. and like, it looks just like alive, you know? Mm -hmm. uh, and so people really like that. And then part of creating, like, if you were gonna create a, uh, a euphilia from euphilia tank, you can still do it. You just would separate them up away from each other or no? You can, I mean, at that point, you're talking about a pretty large aquarium only okay. because like the, the, the sweeper tentacles, they can travel quite, quite large. You know, they, they can go up to like, what, 12 to 15 inches. Uh, and then on top of that, the corals, once they get settled in, are large themselves. Like we started with just like, you know, two inch frags of all these different types of colonies. And now they're like, each of them are 50 polyps. And I guess like that's another cool thing that, um, that's nice about this style aquarium is that it is so space consuming that uh, you don't necessarily need 15 different types. You need like five types and just let them grow big. And it's a striking display. Mm. You know, and so I heard this once, uh, actually this year, uh, which was like that some of these corals that fight with each other uh, are, you know, it might be a hammer and it might, you just think that like hammers should get along with each other, 
but a hammer from Australia and one from Indonesia might actually fight with each other because they're not, they're like, you know, subtly different. You yeah. Know? Have you found that? Yeah, it, it's possible. Um, I think you can always, in general, you want to give corals as much room as possible, right? Uh, in this particular aquarium, they are up against each other and not killing each other. So I, I guess, uh, Take the small victories where they come, I guess. Yeah. So uh, this is one of those things, though. There's so many of these corals, and so many people have love affairs uh, of uh, these types of flowy corals mm -hmm. uh, that you can create a really cool display. Uh, this is another one that I recently got uh, kind of a love affair. Well, and, and again, think smaller tank. Don't think I'm going to fill up a 120 or 180 with all of this stuff. How do I display this stuff on a smaller level in a really cool way? And the next one is a Ganiapora show tank. Mm -hmm. I have no idea until I started collecting them how many variants there really are. Yeah. And so I started this hobby in like the 90s. And at that time, Ganiapora were considered like an impossible coral to keep. Mm -hmm. Like this is a doomed animal. You buy this thing and in six months it's guaranteed to be dead. And progressed all those years to now. And it's one of the most popular large polyp stonies. And it is, it's a coral that I wouldn't necessarily even say is expert only or anything like that. I think it's just another LPS. Mm -hmm. So like our advancements in husbandry uh, and just like the, the, the quality of the species being collected now are just a lot more robust. Mm, handling. And a lot of stuff is aquacultured and that also lends itself to a lot more of that, that stability. So, so these days yeah, you can absolutely have what used to be a, like an impossible dream of an aquarium. And then on top of all that, what you said is there's a hundred different crazy, amazing color morphs to go out there and collect. The part about this that like you don't grasp until you do it is I could get six different color morphs of these things. And if I just like, you know, a typical mix tank and just like plop them all over the place and try to like spread it out, <clears throat> I wouldn't be able to see the differences. I just wouldn't like the eye just doesn't able to capture that contrast. But if you put them all in little gardens around each other, like, or in the same tank in this case, you will see like, wow, man, like the glitter one, you know, like I wouldn't capture the glitter if it's just lost in it. And I paid a lot of money for that thing, you know? Uh, but if I put it next to all of the other ones, you know, you see the differences in subtle shades and you get to like capture the kind of the magic of the ocean and life and like how it evolves to create all these different variants of itself that you just could not appreciate until you create these kind of like garden tanks. Mm -hmm. Yeah, because I think visually they can just get lost in just a tank that's a mixed reef full of just rainbow stuff. Okay, and the spirit of uh, embarrassing Elliot continually, like I think flowy man is uh, Ganiapora all the way, man. Like mm -hmm. even more so than the Aphilias. Like it's just, I mean those big long tentacles that are just so cool. And then they have that like flower element on the end, you mm -hmm. know, and they're just, you know. Literal flower pot corals. Yeah, yeah. It's, it's almost like a zoanthid got big. You know, mm -hmm. uh, and just like decided to like really be cool. You know? Yeah, I, I um, so the uh, the Euphilia quote unquote show tank uh, is sitting across from another show tank, and my idea for that show tank at one time was to do an all Ganiapora one. So you're still capturing that flowy aesthetic, but in two different ways. Yeah, you know, it's like you're go kind of going to like a fancy restaurant or something. It's like this is like beef two ways sort of thing. Uh, so you you definitely have that the 
the same sort of like visual dynamic of it of the motion, but two completely different types of corals to get you there. So we are doing not small displays here, like or we're setting up a bunch of tanks for uh, the next uh, you know fifty two series, mm -hmm. but we're definitely going to uh, put areas you know like in these tanks that really highlight the variance of them and so you won't see them scattered all like this is dedicated to this animal and we'll hopefully build the aquascape and flow and stuff around it so you're not just mm -hmm. like trying to mix it all together like we designed this area of tank for this thing right know? right uh and to the best of our ability anyway uh but yeah i just love the variance okay so i mean this one is an obvious one. Lots of people do it. Uh, it's an Acropora SPS tank, right? This is a, a very specific style of tank. This one's more common, but also cool. Mm -hmm. Yeah, so I think that uh, when people think of like care for SPS, they have like a mental list of, okay, it needs like super high light, super high flow, ultra stable water chemistry, this, that, and the other thing, feeding it amino acids, whatever. And what you're really describing is like care requirements specifically for Acropora, because I promise you Pavona does not care about any of this stuff. Like it's these, Montipora probably doesn't care about a lot of this stuff. So in that sense, having a dedicated Acropora only system does have its benefits because you can design it in such a way to have all of these ex pretty excruciating requirements met. And then, uh, when it comes to like the, the selection of Acropora, I mean, that's a universe of possibilities at this mm -hmm. point. There's so many different types. And it's one of the few corals that's, that people are dabbling with like sexual reproduction and coming up with like bizarre swirls of hybrids and things like that. It's a, it's a really cool, it's a, it's a hot coral right now, but it's trending up even in interest and in design. You know, I mean, they, they used to be hard, but like all the challenges that were made it hard, like chemistry and lighting and stuff, like most of that stuff's been solved in a way that, you know, just easy to replicate now. Mm -hmm. Some ways harder, but not really, you know, like this is still can be done. Like you don't have to be super advanced person, right? And there are so many different color rates, but what I said here was an SPS uh, or Acropora SPS tank. But what you're really talking about, scratch the SPS. Mm -hmm. It's an Acropora It's tank. an Acropora tank. Yeah. Very specific to this one species of animal and highlighting it. And in fact, when you go out and like search for, you know, like award-winning SPS tank, most of them actually look like what you just described. Is they aren't just every SPS coral known to man. It's these, you know, colonies of Acropora and the color variations, you know, like almost little like bursts of color and all over the, like they're so mm -hmm. craft, you know, well cared for and craft like almost like bonsai you know to create this visual array of color but they're all acropora they're mm -hmm. not just everything unknown to man and um when you when you hard commit to just acropora you can do stuff that you would never consider doing for an, for a tank that has anything else in it so um, like back in the day i've seen people use like a thousand watt metal halides in a shallow aquarium over just acros. Like it's probably every bit of like two, 3,000 par where they are. Um, also, I've, I've seen an outdoor aquarium in Hawaii that was just going off of like Hawaiian sun and that's three, 4,000 par. And th those acros, they looked like they were glowing in daylight. I love the word hard commit. 
right? Like, because, <laughs> I've been using that quite a bit. Yeah, because you just like decide I'm going to do it. I'm going to do this thing well. And like, we were talking the other day here about like why are mixed tanks so popular? And the reality of it is because like a vast majority of people go to the fish store and say, I want that one. And that one looks cool and that one looks cool and it wasn't like really intentional other than i'm just like creating a collection of animals that i like mm -hmm. right it wasn't you know anything specific i was trying to achieve and so the conversation that i think you're hearing today like might sound foreign to a lot of people because this is like the next level like i've done the mix tank i've maybe even done the mix tank three times now man how do i you know take that to the next thing and how do i craft an artificial environment that is very specific and hard commit to providing the right thing for this Acroporo or something else. Mm -hmm. Yeah, uh, you know, like even with the Euphilia, I can now hard commit to producing the perfect amount of light and flow that allows them to get the right type of puffy and the right, the right type, type of, of sway. Move, yeah. You know, and I'm hard committed to that. Love that term. Okay, so then the next one is uh, a low light LPS tank. And I don't know what you're talking about here. Okay, so a lot of the coolest large polyp stony corals uh, do not come from bright areas at all. Mm -hmm. They come from cooler waters even. Mm -hmm. And a lot of uh, what displays like their peak health in a mixed reef kind of gets lost. So you might have stuff that doesn't quite extend well. It might be slightly undercolored. There's just there's just some aspect to a mixed reef that doesn't lend itself well to some of these things. So, for example, specifically, uh, I saw a tank that had gorgeous scolies, gorgeous cinerina, gorgeous acanthophilia, and I was like, "What? What is it about this specific tank that I thought was so nice? And how is it? How are they getting these results?" And it was because they kept it in nothing more than 50 par, only blue, not another color in there. And they kept the temperature at like 72 degrees. Mm. It was cold, yeah, because it is a low light, deeper LPS tank. I never really thought about in that spirit of the lower the par, likely, probably not always, but likely lower the temperature. Mm -hmm. And in fact, I've, there's no real data on this, like in reefing, because it's an artificial environment. But I've always questioned whether or not 78 degrees is really the right temperature. Mm -hmm. uh, like, where did we get that from? I know it's like the average ocean temperature and stuff, but is it like really the average of where this thing was collected? Because I'm not so sure. Yeah, and th that can get into like a murky, uh, like rabbit hole, because sometimes it's like, well, this thing says it came from such and such place. But in reality, it was collected at a different spot and it was kind of held in this kind of neutral area first. And then, so like it gets lost in the sauce. Mm -hmm. But, and I guess this is an aside, but this is why I encourage people to go diving more. So you actually see these things in the wild. You might be surprised at what you find in the ocean, how they really look and, and where they live. Um, large polyp stony, low light. Uh, specific like um like fungids like the plate corals mm -hmm. like i always thought that just from seeing them in the in home aquariums that you put them on a sand soft sandy substrate in the wild it is like the gnarliest rubble like aggressively you don't even want to step on this rubble you might hurt your feet type thing and really? that's where these things are found well that'll probably allow water to get underneath it yeah because you know? uh, i haven't Bizarre. had luck with those things in the past and i actually I, you know i had didn't have luck with like three of them and then i just kind of gave up 
Like I, uh-huh. I don't want to kill animals. But now that you're saying that, like lower light, potentially cooler water mm-hmm. placed on, you know, intentionally on rubble might try it again. Yeah, it's yeah, it's, it's these little tiny details and they're, they're counterintuitive. Oh, that's, that's fascinating. You know, one of the things that, that comes to mind to me is in my very first tank, I had like a love affair of uh, Blastamusa. Like I mm-hmm. just really liked that coral, right? Like, and I liked the different variants of it. And specifically the, you know, like the, uh, I'm forgetting that, the species of it, like the red puffy one, right? Uh, mm-hmm. Like green center, you know. Um, oh, it could be like a, like a Welsey? Yeah, yeah okay. I'm sorry, fast space that. So, uh, but I was like trying to put it in the light because I thought that it liked light and I was just killing it. You know, mm-hmm. and just like everywhere I put it, man, it just killed it. And like then I would later learn the more you move it, the more you're going to kill it too. Uh, but then I watched your video, right? And you're basically like, put it in the dark, yeah. you know? And then I did that later on in life. And I'm like, these things just thrive in areas where I would have never thought they would. Yeah. You know? I, it, it's one of those things where like um, when you when you have so many different types of corals, you think that what worked for one probably works for all of them. And that's really not the case. There's mm-hmm. certain there's certain corals that really benefit from crazy highlight and certain ones that practically would prefer being under a ledge in, mm-hmm. the, in the dark. Yeah. Well, and then if you have this tank, man, you're going to hard commit. You know, like I'm going to create this environment that's specific to this. Love it. Okay. Uh, this is another one I've seen done here, uh, but I haven't actually done this myself which is a non-photosynthetic coral tank. Okay. So whole whole thing, hard commit to this. Why does it look cool first? So there is, um, there's a lot of really, really amazing corals out there that are Mm non-photosynthetic. And unfortunately, non-photosynthetic corals are inherently difficult. Like they're, like the fact that you have to feed them the right things in the right quantities and then on top of that, make sure that that feeding doesn't sabotage the entire aquarium because mm-hmm. it's a lot of food input. Um, but some of the most dazzling corals you'll ever see are going to be these non-photosynthetics. You might think, well, they might just be bland. They're not. So like sun corals, that's a very easily accessible one. The brightest yellow imaginable. I mean, it, you see at the zoos, right? You go to like, they're super common at like zoo displays. Yeah. Where there's just, you a know, wall. hundreds or thousands of them. Like it looks unbelievably cool. Mm-hmm. And, they're, and they're, they get big and fat when they're when they're well taken care of. Um, so what do you feed these things, by the way? I mean, I just have fed particulate foods and everything. Yeah, well, like, what so, you do? so uh, Tabastria sun corals, very easy to feed. Uh, you can feed the mysis, they'll eat pellets, like any number of things. The key is to, to consistently keep them fed. Uh, and also, don't turn them into vending machines because what tends to happen is fish figure out that you're feeding these corals mm. and if they beat these corals up it'll spit out the food so mm. you kind of have to play this game of like finding the right fish so that aren't going to harass the coral because you're feeding them so much they know hard commit yeah. you know you're making choices now yeah so you, yeah. you can't have fox face long story short okay but uh, so like feeding them is easy it is it's, it's a matter of making sure that you get them onto your feeding schedule and to, to target feed them pretty much daily. Like it, when, when I had the best success with them, I was feeding several times per day mm-hmm. directly onto them to, to make them have their feeding response. Um, similarly, there's like Blanophilia, which are kind of like a, a more pink version of that. There are like fathead dendros that are like, even, like a, even, imagine like a really big Tabastria is kind of like that. But the, the, 
I guess like the cutting edge of the non-photo world are the filter feeders. Mm -hmm. And I don't think anybody's really figured these guys out. It'll be like like the the carnation coral, the dendronephthia, scleronephthia, that type of stuff. They are rainbows of color, uh, nearly impossible to keep. Um, the non-photosynthetic sea fans, mm -hmm. like sea fans from, from Florida are, they're cool, they're brown mostly, but the, the deep water Indonesian ones that are non-photosynthetic, again, rainbows. Gorgonians fit in this, in this category? Yes, Gorgonians, yep. So they're sea fans, yep. That's all that. So like, like, if you think about all of these animals, man, like these were all like SPS was challenging in the past. We mm -hmm. just need to figure out how to feed what these what these animals eat, right? How do we feed it to them without polluting the tank at the same time? Mm -hmm. right? And that was the challenge that we ran into here was uh, we had a lot of these animals in this one like 60 gallon cube, which is basically exactly what we're talking about. Uh, and, you know, they're feeding like live phytoplankton and, you know, like, you know, it, feeding live foods is a giant pain in the butt. And, mm -hmm. and you have to do it all the time. You have to pot commit that, like, I'm going to do this forever. Right? Yeah. Uh, and they were feeding, like, a reef chili, which is, like, a whole mix of different particulate foods. Mm -hmm. And we were feeding a bunch of stuff to his amino acids. I know he was, he was using, uh, you know, uh, Julian's, like, uh, acro power and mm -hmm. stuff. And th these things thrived. But also what thrived is somehow an, a uh, Aptasia got in there. Mm -hmm. Boom, just blew up because those things do not require light and they love all that particular food and stuff and they oh, yeah. just exploded. Oh, yeah. Yeah. And so, like, you got to make sure you keep out those things. But that is really the balance of what do they eat, how do I feed it enough, and then not pollute the tank. Right. And not feed into a massive explosion of other pests. Like, another thing that loves that type of stuff vermitted snails. Mm -hmm. Like we love to feed our coral, but once we started to have like some vermitted snails pop up, we had to be like, okay, gotta, it's like we cannot optimize anything as long as we have this potentially going on. So you had to cut way back to starve them out and everything like that. But yeah, it's, it, that is a, of the different like, uh, like theme tanks, it is the most technically challenging, I would say. This is, uh, people are still trailblazing. Yes. You know, like, and they're failing, they're succeeding. And, you know, the one thing's in here is I guarantee if we went hunting hard enough, we would find the people that have actually already figured out the recipe They and they're successful and you could replicate it. They just haven't boiled to the top yet. There's mm -hmm. not enough people listening to that person yet. So anybody's watching this video uh, and you know the people that are really successful with this specific non-photosynthetic, I mean, link to a thread that they have or a video or anything because like what really happen, hap happens is we just have to figure out who it is we're supposed to listen to because mm -hmm. there are people out there that have solved almost everything they just kind of get lost in the minutiae right or and sometimes it's just good to know that if assuming that there is somebody that's had that success maybe what got them that success is like not that replicable for most folks. It's like, at least, oh. at least you know, it's like, oh, that's what it took. Yeah, never mind. Yeah, never mind. But like I could if I wanted to but do it, that. But at least it's possible. Because right now, we don't know that it's really all that possible. It's, it's challenging. I am, I got some thoughts, you know, that like you find the right food, feed it enough, and then really the end game is how do I keep the, you know, the filtration up with that thing. Mm -hmm. Uh, and, you know, advancements in filtration, you know, these days. Might just be mega oversized. Yeah. Yes. 
Well, I, I think often of like, you know, a refugium is like, I haven't found, you know, a feeding that a refugium can't keep up with okay. when it's lit right, you know? Okay. That like the problem is usually that it's zero nitrate and phosphate, right? Mm -hmm. Like it takes it all out. And so like tons of food in, all the little particulates and organics are in there for it to eat, but the net breakdown of it is the nitrogen and phosphorus and the algae just sucks it all up. Now it's sucking up other minerals and stuff that are important, but then you mix that with a regular water change schedule, you mm -hmm. know, and I'm probably gonna be able to keep up with this. Like, but how do you, you know, find the right foods and then go test and you think, we'll test it, then we'll test it again, and then all of you guys will test it, and then we learn something new, mm -hmm. you know? And w one other thing that I'll just throw into the mix is that I think that there's like a major disconnect between the scientific community and the hobbyists, mm -hmm. because there's probably dozens of published journal um, articles about exactly what these corals are eating, and we just never read them. Like, they're just, they're, they're out there in the public, but it's just not something that's known in the industry. Every time I research a topic, it makes me mad that I hadn't like, I, like this is all there. There's nobody's paying attention. Yeah, you know, uh, like pH is one to me. They're like, dude, there's so much data on the acidification of the ocean and how mm -hmm. dropping just like a tenth of a point or so can cause like this brittle skeletons. It can stress the corals out, causes whole waves of things that if any other thing happens to it, it goes down. Their skeletons like eat themselves, you know? Mm. And like, you just like, it's so much data. We do experiments here. And then we show the difference between 7.8, 8, and 3.8. Like the things grow 50% faster at 8.3, and at 7.8 than they do at that, which means like like they're calcifying faster. And it could be, is it growing better? It's not, man, because we're growing at 7.8. We're growing at a, an artificially acidic level. Mm -hmm. It's growing slower than it should. Mm -hmm. It's not the inverse. We're harming its biology, wow. uh, you know, and now it's you know susceptible to other things. We know this. Every marine biologist, man, would tell you this. Somehow in the hobby, though, it's that ah, it doesn't matter. It just got lost. Yeah, it just doesn't matter. Like, it's mind-boggling, you know. So how do we get that information uh, out there? Because I, I think you're right. If we go out and find out what these things eat, and yeah. how to replicate it, and then try and test, and we all test together, and then find the right recipe. Mm -hmm. I, I think we can do it. And one of the things, though, is you know, if we treat it as a non-photosynthetic coral tank, we're actually ve 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 veering away from the topic today a little bit. Mm -hmm. It could be a sun coral tank because yeah. what's helping the, uh, you know, the sea fans is different. Yes, you know? yeah, very different, like the, the non-photosynthetic filter feeders versus the things that'll just eat any chunky food you throw at them. Okay, so, you know, in the spirit of that, I have gone to public aquariums and zoos and stuff Mm -hmm. that have had these corals up, all of them, you know, for years. Mm -hmm. It can be done. Yeah. You know, I think that the wrinkle that, that they might be, um, and I, I guess it depends on the, on the aquarium, but some of them are just literally pumping oceans of natural seawater through those tanks. Mm -hmm. And there, there's some secret sauce about, oh, the ocean has all the things that they need. And that's, that's we haven't replicated that well enough in home aquariums. Okay, let's do the math though. So like uh, we started, I started to think about doing how do I do water changes to a desired effect, right? Mm -hmm. And then I did the math on it. And if you did a 10% water change weekly, basically the pollution will never end up getting worse than it would get in two months. So okay. if you put the same amount of food in every single day, 
the dilution effect caps out at two months and then it doesn't go up anymore. Mm -hmm. uh, like, or, or only just minutely, like just like an unmeasurable way, right? Mm -hmm. Okay, if you do 50% uh, water change, it will never get more polluted than it would go in a single month. So like, it's, you know, how do I find the right water change schedule then that whatever pollution I'm putting in there, and it might be that I'm putting so much in that I need to actually do more than that and it needs to get never better, worse than it would ever get in a single week, you mm -hmm. know, whatever. But there is the right ratio to this. Then you just have to decide, do I want to buy that much salt? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> like a pallet of salt showing up in your in your driveway. Yeah. yeah. I mean, you're going to have to decide. Like, like I, I mean, it sounds kind of wasteful, to be honest, when you think about it, but like so is cat litter. You know, I mean, like, I, I, but like, I still love my cat, man. I'm going to throw a bag of that out every week. Yeah. You know? Yeah. It just is what it is. That's part of caring for the animal correctly, you know, identifying mm -hmm. what it is you need. Uh, next one in here is uh, an anemone show tank. So what are you thinking when you see this? So this whole idea of like the themed tanks, you can do an anemone theme times 50, right? There's so many different types of these anemones. You, like obviously bubble tips are very, uh, very popular. Mm -hmm. and uh, I was thinking, you know, we have like a handful of different varieties. And then I visited one of my friends' facilities. He has 50 different strains. Mm -hmm. Like something like 50. Of bubble tips or just Of bubble tips. Oh my gosh. Of yeah. bubble tips. And they have theirs uh, like broken out over completely separate aquariums because there, there's some thought about the, there is like a chemical hostility between the different bubble tip varieties. Mm -hmm. uh, but no, he isolated every single one of those 50 and sure enough, they're all different. We found that here, by the way, I tried to mix green ones and uh, 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 pink ones like forever, right? Uh huh. And every single time, and the green ones always die out. Yeah, I've had just, the same experience. They'll do this just fine if you had only green ones. Mm -hmm. uh, but if you mix them together, man, you might think they're the same thing, but they don't like each other. No, and, no. And the red ones always win. And, and, it's not a, and did you think that it was like a stinging thing or was it just like a chemistry thing? Don't know. Yeah, you know, but like I would actually, I mean, it's been a while, right? This is like the clownfish harem tank that we were talking about here. But like, I feel like we put them in different areas where they weren't touching each other. Mm -hmm. Don't quote me on this though, but like it could very easily be. But then the answer to that is carbon and ozone. You know, uh, like to break down those toxins that mm -hmm. they put out, you know, that, you know, they're in the wild and they're, they're like, all these corals are releasing something that's basically stay away from me. And that's why you see all of them have, you know, like an inch, you know, or whatever, a half inch of space between it and the next thing. Mm -hmm. uh, it's toxin staying, stay away from me. Uh, but it gets diluted rapidly. Yeah. That's why it only works for a half inch. But in a tank, it just stays there. It circulates around. Yeah, I, I wonder how effective, now, now that I'm actually playing with both uh, activated carbon and ozone, I, I wonder how effective that would be for this specific problem. Because I've never really seen a, a, a really well-mixed bubble tip anemone tank. So it'd be really interesting to uh, take, like let's say you set up a 60 cube and another 60 cube, have them share the same sump. You mm -hmm. know, and then see, can I get these green ones to grow in the same one as the rose ones? Yeah, uh, because could be that, an experiment. that's the answer. And then if it's answer is no. All right. Well, now let's try some activated carbon, which should absorb those toxins uh, or conversely use some ozone, which would break those toxins down. 
Mm -hmm. you know? Yeah, uh, that's an interesting idea. And I want to know so bad. Uh, yeah. Because the, the answer is in here. But there are other anemones uh, in the mix. And one of the ones that I've never done, that like every single time I go to like a Reef of Palooza, uh, like I want to do the rock nymphs. Okay. You, you okay. Know? Because they create such a powerful, colorful display that's would be difficult to create in almost any other way. Yeah, they are. Um, I'm thinking. I think it was like the first time that I ever saw those, especially the ones coming from from the, the, the Florida area. They're so colorful. Yeah. And because they're more local. They're really not that expensive in the grand scheme of things, you know, because they didn't buy that type of color for that sheep. And they're easy to care for. Like on top of all of that, they're they're very beginner friendly. Mm -hmm. And um, and in some cases, they, they spawn in captivity. They spawned at our facility, for example, and, and very seldomly. But you can get little babies, you know, pop up and it's, they're, they're cool. They're definitely a cool animal to, to mess with. Mm -hmm. um, another anemone that I that I love that you really does kind of need a species specific tank for are like the carpet anemones mm -hmm. because they're they're so good at catching fish. Uh, so you, you almost are are limited to like certain clownfish and certain um, like symbiotic like shrimp and stuff like that. But to have like this rolling giant magnificently colored uh, carpet is like really cool. We're talking about building one of these tanks. You know, I like I want to. You know, I don't know if we'll use the carpet or not, but like how in, how do I build a clownfish tank that isn't just bubble tip? Like because the bubble tip is a cool but easy way out. Right. But like they don't live these things in the wild. Right. Mm -hmm. So how do I create something that actually like if I put my face down in the water, what would I see there? You know, uh, and then create that. And what it is, is, you know, one big, powerful animal, you know, and then mm -hmm. they, you know, they live in it. But you can't put other fish in there because it will eat them. They're really They'll, good at catching fish. They will bump into it, sting it, catch it, eat it. Yeah. And uh, one little word of warning. Some people are allergic to carpet anemones. Oh, really? And it can give you a heart attack. Just going to throw that out there. Oh, wow. Like one time I actually, because uh, they, they have a very, very, very strong sting. And one time I do remember it grabbed onto my hand. They, they're very sticky and grabby. And I would have sworn that I felt it like in my chest a little bit. Oh, really? Yeah. And I was like, yeah. oh, Those that's toxins, not man. good. Yeah. Yeah. So, but I think it's also like a, a partly like an allergic reaction. Interesting. Uh, you know, I, I had uh, uh, a big blue one at one point in time. And the thing that caught me right away was like, if you have a bubble tip in enemy and like you just like shook it, it shrinks down to like nothing. Really. Nothing. It's like, yeah. it's like almost like a plastic bag of water, right? Mm -hmm. Okay. The carpet, though, it's like meat. You know, like this is like it's like a big giant steak almost, you know, <laughs> like it is this the substance to this thing, you know, it doesn't like shrink up the same way. Yeah. Know? And uh, so one time I was I was vacationing over in like Japan and we were in Okinawa and these bubble tip or I'm sorry, these carpet anemones are everywhere. And during low tide, like <laughs> they're just sitting there in open air, but fully fleshed out. Oh, like they don't care like for for like five hours in low tide wow yeah just fully just still spongy and everything okay i have a, a th not a working theory that some of the some of the other people i've talked to uh but i'm, gonna, I'm not gonna lead it here people have trouble with carpets uh and i'm gonna butcher this but the rittery 
Ritteri, yeah. Ritteri. Uh, and Erectus Magnifica okay. or whatever. Yeah. Okay, so people have trouble with these things. What's the solution? I, I have a potential answer, but I want to hear it out of you first. Okay, so I've never personally have kept one. Okay. I've thought about it many times. I, I always heard that the that the um, the the main sentiment was like crushing flow and tons and tons of light. Okay. Those are like the two like variables that I constantly keep hearing about. Okay, you know what one okay, I got two things here. So mm -hmm. one of the coolest pieces of advice that I've gotten recently is if you want to know the answer to some of this stuff, Google it and look where it lives in the ocean. Mm -hmm. Right. Uh, and I even use things like Shutterstock, which is like made for videographers, but there's tons of video out there. Mm -hmm. So look for this animal and then watch, you know, what kind of flow that it's found in. Watch what kind of depth it's found in and what environment it's in. And if you don't know, that's a good starting point. Mm -hmm. You know, like I, uh, sometimes we can actually improve on nature in our aquariums and do better than we would do in the ocean. But if we're not being successful, that mm -hmm. might be a good starting point of like, is this thing like, for instance, the first thing that came to mind is if that carpet can live in the open, uh, exposed to uh, the sun, you know, without any water, over lighting this is impossible. Impossible. Like you, uh, it, it might be possible, but you can't do it. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, not a cost effectively. No. <laughs> yeah. Impossible, man. And so I don't know that it needs, it doesn't mean that it needs that much light, but it definitely means it can tolerate it. Mm -hmm. Right. Okay. Then, you know, I just think of like, how do we translate that information? But one of the things that uh, I was recently told by more than one person, antibiotics is the answer. Mm. That these things come, they don't handle transport very well. They don't handle being taken off of the rocks and little nicks in their foot and stuff very well. Mm -hmm. And so using uh, proactive things like Cipro and stuff uh, before you, you know, put it into the tank. Yeah. You know, it's curing, you know, the wounds that it has or infections that it might have. Because this is like, again, it's not a, you know, bubble tip. It's a more fleshy animal. Yeah, and actually that, that kind of uh, ties back into what might be happening in the wild is if you expose some of these things to like very, very, very shallow water or just open air entirely, they're getting a lot of ultraviolet from the sun. Mm -hmm. And so that might have like an antiseptic effect for oh. these anemones that then once you put them into your home aquariums might struggle with these pathogens that now aren't getting checked by direct UV contact onto the animal. Like stuff like that could be in play. I personally don't have the answer to that, but it is interesting to think well, about. Well, so yeah, how do we find the answer? Like we test and we find out. Mm -hmm. uh, but I even think what you're talking about, like uh, I was thinking about it as a pre-treatment, you know, mm -hmm. that for the wounds that already has, but yeah. you're talking about long-term ozone potentially, right? Uh, you know, it's uh, a type, the oxidants are like kind of a type of, I don't, I'm, I might not be using the word antiseptic, you know, scientifically. Yeah, antimicrobial. Accurately. Yeah. I, I wonder about that because I think that that's something that people always say about ozone, but I wonder if it's ever in those, in the concentrations necessary to, to do some sterilization effect. Okay, well, I got to tell you, I mean, this is anecdotal and we're, you know, we keep going for more and more anecdotal until you find something real, right? Mm -hmm. But like my tank was just riddled with diatoms and dinos. And I know that because I put them under the microscope and I correctly identified them. Uh -huh. Turned the ozone on, dude, and I only turned it on for a couple hours a night uh, on Friday. I came back on Monday and it was all gone. Stuff that had been there for a year, dude. 
and so, Interesting. you know, like it has a sterilization effect of some type. We don't know exactly, you know, if that's 100% good or 100% bad, mm-hmm. but I do know, man, did it solve an ugly problem, right? Yeah. So, and, then and you, saw, you know, anecdotal data is data. Well, you saw the experiment that you have running now. Like, there's clearly yeah. one of them. The ozone is definitely keeping for sure. you know, the cyano and stuff out. Yeah, of for it, sure. Right. I, I, lo- I love ozone. Don't get me wrong. But yeah. yeah. Like, but like, how do we find the answers? If that's the answer, is how do we help these things fight off whatever it might have been fighting off because it was exposed to you know UV? Now, this is just like a guess, mm-hmm. you know. But like, that's how we learn something. Is we just keep guessing. But in that same spirit, uh, anemone show tank. You can really highlight all kinds of cool things. Let's learn some because I got a I got a theory that if we find the right thing, like the Ritteri uh, Ritteri uh, an enemy will not be an expert only thing. It'll just be do these three things. Mm-hmm. You know, uh, like I, I think about the clownfish harem tank. You know, I was told that was impossible. Mm-hmm. I was told you can't have more than two and they, they won't live. I don't know. We, I went and found one guy that seemed like he was worth listening to. I read all 30 of pages of his thread, you know, uh, and then I applied what he did and worked for him mm-hmm. and it worked for me. And we kept how long did you guys how long did you guys keep that tank up? Five and a half years. Did you really? Yeah. And how many clownfish? All of them, man. They all live. Oh, but how many did you start with? 30. OK, 30. Wow. Yeah. Wow. I, I, I've personally never tried that. Dude, and like all I had to do was it was lost in the minutiae. Everybody told you you couldn't have, you know, more than two, uh-huh. right? Or they fight each other. Turns out it's true. But like if you have two, but if you have three, yeah, or if you have three, man, probably. But like all of it was, was you, he had a, an approach to provide as much habitat as possible. Because what these things are fighting about is they're fighting about habitat, they're fighting about food, and that's what every organism on the planet does. Mm-hmm. Like we fight about where do I live and how do I eat, right? Mm-hmm. Okay, and in, then I also have to have a place to hide when you're mean to me, right? And so what we did is put eight million anemones in here. We just like stocked it with as many as humanly possible. Mm-hmm. And then we fed the crap out of this. That, that feeder was going off by the hour. Oh, wow. uh, okay, and then uh, nutrients was a problem until we put the refugium in. No skimmer was holding up with this. Nothing, man. Like no water change schedule was holding up to it. Put the refugium in, no problem, man. It just sucks up all the nitrogen and phosphorus uh, out of the water, no matter how much we fit. But by the hour, pellets are going this. Well, it turns out fat, hungry people, man, that have a really awesome home don't fight. It's <laughs> <laughs> mean, like, funny. You know, and so it really worked out, but we'll learn something new and keep doing it. I, I hope to find out this uh, anemone question specifically, some of the more natural ones in the yeah. future. Okay, so a uh, show tank that highlights symbiotic relationships is a really cool theme tank. And this is for all the, the nano lovers out there, because this is uh, that would be the perfect way to to observe and demonstrate these types of interactions, because a lot of these symbiotic relationships are they're like right on top of each other and they don't require a ton of space. Right. Mm-hmm. So if you wanted to do like a pistol shrimp and goby like that doesn't take a lot of room. That's a little sand cave. Right? Every new person is this one of the first things you're like, that is so cool. It's really, right? really cool. Pom pom crab. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but it's got to be tiny to be able to see it. Exactly, because you, know? you, you, you put that in your in your tank, you'll never see that thing again, right? Yeah, it's walking around with little nems on its hands, you know? And then, like, if it loses one, it tears one in half and has another one, you know? Such a, such a cool creature, but it's t- so tiny. Or like uh, or like a, a porcelain and anemone-type crab oh, yeah. in an anemone tank. That, yeah, that could absolutely. be done. Um, what, other, what other cool 
Okay, so symbiotics are out there. One of the ones I think we're going to build for the 52 series mm -hmm. is we're going to build a big, giant acro colony, like a really massive one, and then put in 50 uh, chromis. You know? oh, okay. So you can see that natural, like, kind of schooling behavior where they dart in and out, and then we're going to put one big predator tank you know, fish in there that kind of swims around and creates that effect that they dart in and out. Interesting. You know, and it's, this is something you would see in the ocean. Like it's not 8 million little colonies of macro, man. It's a big one. You know? mm -hmm. And like the current thought process is let's go to ORA and, you know, because these are like bulletproof corals, right? Mm -hmm. And uh, let's just order like 60 of the same frag and you know, see if we can get it to create one of these things in a timely fashion. You know? Nice, nice. Uh, but yeah, like, no, I don't think this would, no, nobody would start their first tank this way. You know, but in the spirit of a theme tank, if you had a big display in your house, man, it's got one massive coral in it and 50 of these beautiful, you know, blue chromas swimming around and, you know, you know, swimming together the way that they do. And then this one cool, like, you know, grouper or something in there, you know, that's swimming around. Like, it creates a visually powerful display and people that came to your house will say, wow, that's mm -hmm. really neat. Yeah, that could be very interesting. So, well, or the group is just going to eat them all. <laughs> well, so you know what? Uh, I've talked to people because that was my first instinct is that they would, you would eat them all. But like, actually, man, like they're, they're the way that they protect themselves in the wild will be the same way they protect themselves in a tank, yeah. likely. They'll be able to live within there in a way that it can't, you know? Mm -hmm. uh, and here's the reality is it may catch one once in a while. But like the reality of what the fish food I feed, man, is fish too. I just mm -hmm. need to own that. Yeah. You yeah. know, uh, like my cat food, you know, like. That's chicken. It's, it's, it's another chicken. animal. Yeah. You know, this is the nature. Like, it's not a bad thing. This is what happens in the wild and part of the whole thing. Now, I don't want that to happen. But mm -hmm. if it had it on occasion, it's part of what you would see if you put your face in the ocean. Yeah. Like, the, like groupers do eat fish. <laughs> Yeah. And also the same thing here is what I keep being told by some of the people that have attempted this is that you put 20 chromis in there, they'll all pick each other off. If you put 50 in, they won't. Mm -hmm. You know, like it's just aggression, dispersal, you know. For sure. And, and then also having enough habitat and enough food. Yeah. yeah. Massive colony for that. Yeah. yeah. So, and that would be like pot committed now too. It's a question of like uh, what comes first, the massive colony or the chromis or mm -hmm. the, the grouper. And so it might be that we actually have, you know, try to figure out, you know, the sequence of events that is most likely to create this success. Yeah, interesting. Yeah. And, and the reality is, is like, I don't want to say this out loud, but we might fail, right? But we'll learn and we'll adapt to it and then we'll find the right answer. Mm -hmm. you know? I can pretty much say that nobody's ever tried that before. So if, if nothing else, it'll be novel. It was fun. You know, they want the next level. Like, what do we do? You know, mm -hmm. how do we find this? So I think of any other symbiotic relationship. So the only other cool. thing I can think of is like, there's a really weird one. It's like, uh, it's a type of a hermit crab that uh, it's, it almost becomes like a sessile filter feeder and it burrows into um, Astriopora specifically and sometimes like Pavona and stuff. But you basically have this little hermit crab sitting in, in a little den and it has like filter feeding. Mm like things. Yeah. And so they're called Pagarita hermit crabs. And you can have like a rock 
of uh, like a boulder of Astriopora, and sometimes they have like the feather dusters and stuff. But some of those feather dusters are actually hermit crabs if you look carefully enough. Oh, really? Yeah. Yeah, and like you would never be able to see that in a big tank, uh, mm -hmm. or, or would never highlight it. But like if you put it in small, you'll go, whoa, whoa, what yeah. the heck? Are yeah, yeah, it's yeah. really cool. Yeah, All right, cool, man. Uh, another one in here was uh, only leathers and soft corals, only featuring those. Yeah. Um, Obviously, soft corals is nothing new, but some of the coolest aquariums I've ever seen are these very daylight colored leather aquariums. Yep. Uh, you, you get like a lot of like the, the, the pinks and like the tan pastels, but under basically like yellow light. Because mm -hmm. I mean, so much of like the, the, the mixed reef world, it, it trends so heavily blue actinic these days to see such a stark departure from that and to, to really showcase like, uh, again, like that 6,500 Kelvin yellowish white light. These corals look amazing under that. And just, and there, there's some degree of like, like chemical toxicity that might be going on with, with leathers. Don't know where I stand on that. But um, to, to isolate that problem away entirely just by having only leathers. I've seen tons of Cinellaria tanks, right? Like yeah. Super, super bright yellow fluorescent colors, you know, and they're like, they like, you know, grow so fast that it becomes like a really inexpensive tank to fill out as mm -hmm. well. Right? And they're practically bulletproof. They're very beginner friendly. Yeah. They and uh, it can scale up to whatever size aquarium you want. If you want a 500 gallon tank full of leathers, it's going to look pretty awesome. And some of those leathers are going to be the size of your couch. Like it's gonna be amazing. So I'm gonna go with one uh, other one on here, uh, which is uh, like thinking of a theme tank. Uh, it doesn't necessarily always have to be coral, right? Okay. So uh, if you ever get, find out, or find yourself in uh, LA, go over to Marine Collectors, right? Elliot will show you his Hawaiian theme tank, right? And it's only fish that you would find in Hawaii. Right. Mm. Uh, and I think it's like, you know, six feet wide by like 10 feet deep peninsula. Right. Mm -hmm. uh, and I love it. Okay. I love Hawaii. Like it's one place where, like I, the, the wheels hit the ground and like, I know, man, like I'm already at peace. You know, like, I just love, just love Kauai especially, but like it is, so powerful, man, because he's got these big schools of yellow tangs, you know, and he's got, you know, uh, like all of these fish that like if I put my face in the water all the times that I've snorkeled, this is what I see. And then he has the yellow light. Right. Mm -hmm. And it's not necessarily yellow, but it's daylight, mm -hmm. which really highlights fish color. Yeah. Right. Time. And snorkel depths you know, where it's not all blue, where all the other colors have been filtered out, right? Mm -hmm. And so it looks like one of my favorite places on the planet, but you brought it here to LA. And I want to bring it to my house someday. You know, uh, like, I like, I'm, I'm still planning out this tank in my house someday, and I'm not exactly sure what I'm going to do with the space that I've built out for it. But like, one of the ideas has been create this Hawaiian tank because, uh, like, you know, by the way, you can't buy the Hawaiian fish at the moment, but you can go there, catch them yourself and fly them back. Wait, really? Yeah. Like, you know, like, I don't think everybody wants you to know that, but yeah. like, you know, like <laughs> uh, for no personal use. So it's a little dicey, man, if they ever entered your facility or something like that. But for a personal person, 
you can actually go and catch them yourself and fly them home in your lap. There's a certain amount of day or something you can do. Like, wow, I, I had no idea. Okay, now that, something new every day. So in terms of a theme, not only do I love Hawaiian fish, I caught those things myself, man. Uh-huh. You know, like these were part of a trip, man, of a life experience that I have that now live with me in my house. You know, as an aside, it, it, it just makes me think like, how would I even go about catching a yellow tang in the ocean? Like, I'm uh, so clumsy in, in, in the water as is. Oh, you know, I think what you do is you do it at night. Oh, okay. And when they're sleeping, right, which is a spooky environment if you're not used to uh, the water at night, but especially waves and currents and stuff. But I think that's how you do it, the, one of the easier ways. Anyway. Gotcha. Gotcha. Yeah. Uh, uh, I think I think that the yellow tangs would be better at being away from me than I would be at catching a yellow tang, but that's very. It, it makes you appreciate. It, it makes you appreciate the people that actually do collect. Yeah. yeah. Uh, so in, in any case, man, that was themes. Uh, 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 theme tanks as opposed to mixed reefs. Hopefully, if you made it to this point, one of these things inspired your soul. Uh, but there's more from Than and other special guests found in a playlist right here. We'll see you in the next one. Bye, guys.